This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Lends Me Your Ears. I'm Stephen Cook, arts reporter for the Chronicle Herald here in Halifax. I'm Karsten Knox, a blogger at Flaw in the Iris at HalifaxBloggers.ca and the movie guru at CTV Morning Live. This is a movie podcast where we look at some current films and then examine some older titles that might be tangentially related. And hopefully you'll learn something about some films you might not have seen before. On this week's show, we get fast, we get furious, we get four on a very sticky theater floor. It's Car Movies on Lens Me Your Ears. Hey, Stephen. How you doing? Hey, Karsten. <laughs> Are you feeling fast or furious today? Uh, you know, maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, that movie made all the money this weekend. All of it. <laughs> everyone, by the time that people listen to this, it will have made all plus all everyone else's money. It'll just have all the money. What is it? What is the draw of this <laughs> series? Now, I, I'm, I'm asking rhetorically because I totally understand what the draw of these films is, but yeah. it, uh, it, it it's uh, and we're going to talk about this, but it seems to harken back to a past age when you could see a movie that it was just a bunch of car wrecks yeah. from start to finish. And it didn't necessarily make sense. It didn't have to have like really solid grounding in reality of, and in any way. It just needed to have a certain kind of quality to it. A certain adrenaline. We are, we are of course, talking about Fast 7. Fast Fast 7, that's right. Or Furious 7. Is it Furious 7 or Fast 7? <laughs> it's I'm both. losing track. Yeah, um, yeah the titles are, are kind of interchangeable <laughs> at this point. We had Fast 5 and Furious 7 and it's, uh, it's, it's sort of magnificent too and... Uh, yeah, in some ways. I had to t- to explain uh, that uh, Hateful Eight, which is the new Tarantino film coming out at the end of the year, has no relation to Furious Seven, <laughs> even though both films have Kurt Russell in them. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think the Hateful Eight uh, don't have anything that's fuel injected. Oh, that's true. <laughs> from that's what I gather right, of yeah. uh, from what I've gathered from that one trailer that yeah. we've seen so far. Um, but it's funny. This franchise is not one that I liked when it started. I remember seeing the first one and kind of shrugging at it, and then I ignored the the franchise for years. Uh, but then I. I think when maybe Fast Five came out and the reviews were really positive, I thought, okay, maybe it's worth taking a look at it again. I think what partly what turned me off was was it just uh, a lot of. I mean, I liked car movies when I was a kid, but uh, but I liked you know muscle American Muscle and I liked exotic super sports cars, but I wasn't into the whole tuner culture, which is what I think the franchise was originally built on. These small economy cars, you know, f- with big engines to make them performance crazy and then the the bad men who drive them yeah I, i'm not a, i'm not crazy about those kind of uh tuned up uh japanese models either that you know the the the, the road racers turned out of from old honda accords or what have you it's just a, there's, there's just no real romance there, you know? <laughs> yeah and uh it's it's interesting how like traditionally the movies about these cars you know if we're going back you know to the to the 70s and maybe even further back how they tend to fetishize the cars and those ones it's just hard to get all worked up about unless you're really into that sort of thing yourself personally yeah it's true a lot of the cars in in the in this the movies which we'll go back to talk about are are fetishized but it's also about the i mean cars are a great metaphor for you know sex speed freedom and mm. and and a lot of these movies in the old days were just westerns basically like a, a man out in his own you know making his own law against the man the, the bad guy the the who usually was a cop or some form of authority uh which you know that that tradition certainly extends to Fast and Furious movies. Yeah, oddly enough, the original Fast and the Furious from 1955 was basically, the Western analogy is a good one because basically John Ireland breaks out of jail where he was for murder he didn't commit or whatever and has to try to get to Mexico before the cops get him and he kidnaps a girl as for whatever reason, I don't know, uh, as his uh, his insurance policy maybe and, and it's basically a desperate road race for the border. And uh, you know, kind of in the in the in the style of the juvenile delinquent films of the day, I guess Ireland himself directed it, and and that property, I guess, was uh, even though it has no bearing on this series, aside from the fact that you know the characters are on shady sides of the law while they're driving the hell out of these machines. Uh, that's pretty much the only connection. But it's such such a great title. How could you how could you let it go? But all the all the iterations are just you know from Tokyo Drift to Too Fast, Too Furious. It's uh, 
they're, they're taking a lot of liberties there. Yes. I yeah, I think so. And I, you know, I I'm impressed with this with this franchise. Uh, having having gone back to rewatch them all, uh, you know, the the basis uh, of the first one, the sort of B movie, uh, you know, criminals, uh, outlaws on the on the road, and the and the cop that that tries to take them down and then begrudgingly learns to respect them, kind of thing. You know, it was fine. I was never a big fan of Paul Walker. You know, rest in peace. But uh, I mean, I can understand the appeal of Vin Diesel, and I, I think he's kind of the heart of the thing. When when the two when when the second movie came out uh, and there was no Diesel, it really the film really suffered accordingly. Um, the third one is kind of a self-contained little teen movie set in Tokyo, and Diesel does show up in that one at the end just as a cameo. But uh, but it's actually kind of cool because it sort of stands alone and it's out of out of continuity with the rest of the the films. Uh, it actually sits somewhere between uh, somewhere in around the end of of six and then and then seven it sort of lies astride those two films uh, but but eventually when when uh, when Justin Lin who directed the third movie and was written by Chris Morgan when they took over uh, with the fourth fifth and sixth they really turned this franchise into something special I think I think they they took it from its sort of they stripped it down to uh, to use some automotive uh, analogy stripped it down to its you know the the frame and they put in a new engine and the fourth <laughs> one was was not bad and the fifth one was killer that's the one Fast Five is so much fun I absolutely loved it uh, and the sixth one was pretty great too Fast Five was like uh, Ocean's Eleven uh, in, in Rio with a uh, multinational cast uh, with you know crazy stunts lots of great fun and then uh, and then the Fast and Furious 6 was more of a Bond movie half of it was set in <laughs> no uh, in London and and I really enjoyed how they applied those kind of spy tropes to to these characters and and that world with a lot of humor and of course the 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 crazy cars um, now now we get the Furious 7 which uh, you know it has this sort of sadness about it because one of the lead actors died in a car accident while it was being made but but the they although i didn't like it as much as 5 or 6 i felt like they were true to the spirit of the thing and uh, and you know it was quite a send off for for paul walker Oh yeah, we got the teary montage at the end. I, I hope I'm not spoiling anything here, but uh, it's it's you know it's pretty well known that they don't write them off, as it were, uh, in the, in the film itself. So, uh, but it's it's just kind of odd. To have that kind of, it's weird. It's almost like a like a very special episode of a TV series that where they've lost a, a cast member. It's it's just it's kind of an unusual thing to see in a major you know motion picture to, to do that kind of thing. It's true, I, I, but at the same time, you know, I think the the there are things about these stories that they keep coming back to which is sort of brotherhood oh, yeah. and family and well, family, family. And, and and the bromantic <laughs> aspect i mean it's truly the relationship between between dom and brian is 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 super you know Romantic, uh, uh, you know, I the Brian, I, not to be you know disrespectful, but but I I suspect that uh, I mean there you could there must be a lot of fan fiction out of there about uh, out there about how these guys hook up in you know in the ba- in the garage you know <laughs> up against the hood because it's there's so much love there and so much passion between the two guys that actually I don't see it as much between the guys and their their romantic interests in the films, uh, but you I'm know, gonna be looking up uh, slash. Fast slash as soon as I got this <laughs> out there. Um, but yeah, but I yeah, I thought that the way they they handled it in the end was was sort of true to the tone of the films, and and it it, it went. They took the character and they kind of faded into the actor, you know, when, with all the montage and mm. and with all that sort of like you know blue sky stuff. Uh, and I, yeah, I don't think it's a big spoiler. You know, obviously they're going to pay tribute to this actor who who passed away sadly. Um, you know, while and and sort of sad ironically while mm-hmm. making these this film, given the way he he died. But at least with the montage, you get to see how his haircut and brood over the course of the film. So that's a big plus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually, how I think his acting improved. I think with age, I think he became more comfortable and and just more at ease in in the role. And I didn't find him so annoying the the further along he went. I also thought that, you know, although he wasn't uh, an actor with a lot of range, he did have the physical requirements. I mean, in oh, a movie sure. like this, you've got to be you got to be athletic. And he had all of that. I think once he stopped being a cop, <laughs> sort of yeah. all oh, right, he used to be a cop. Right. Yeah. He, was, know, he was a bad cop. He was a though. terrible policeman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, once once you got beyond that, then, you know, OK, well, now I can live with this character a little bit more. But um yeah, it's just it's such a weird arc to trace from from like street racing thugs to 
international agents of, of mystery. I mean, in, in, <laughs> in, in, in the new in the new film, we, we of course we we get uh, we we get uh, Mister Nobody. We get Kurt Russell comes in as this kind of shadowy government agent with uh, infinite resources at his disposal, who hires these guys to to go after. Uh, a hacker who's being held somewhere deep in the Caucasian mountains uh, with access to a device that will control the world. Yes. Or, you know, it's, you know, we're, we're definitely, we've definitely gone from Ocean's Eleven into Casino Royale uh, somewhere <laughs> yes. along the line uh, with this series. It's just like, I don't, know how they could uh, I, I, they'd have to go into space yeah I in think the next so. episode well, to, really, know, to really to really uh, to really top themselves Bond did that with Moonraker so you That's know I, there, there's a precedent uh, but no it is it's crazy um, and and, and I mean the, the plot holes in the seventh movie maybe my next to the fact that I'm a big fan of doing stunts for real like I love to see them do crazy stunts for real and from what I've read they actually did drop cars out of the back of an airplane in this Infurious 7. But I did feel that in some of the scenes, the CGI was a, was really painfully obvious and, and it sort of took me out of the film. And in places, my favorite car stunts are when they actually actually do them. Someone pulls that 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 stuff off. Uh, but but then there's the plot holes. And, and you know, yeah, you can ignore no. them if you want. You pretty much have to. Kinda, you don't have much choice. Otherwise, yeah. you're just going to be, you're going to have a dent in your forehead from palming your face all night <laughs> yeah. watching this thing. Yeah, but I never really understood why they signed up with, with uh, Mr. Nobody because... Uh, you know the uh, the Jason Statham character who was coming after them. He showed up at every single place they went: Azerbaijan, Abu Dhabi. There he was. They didn't need some device to try to find this guy. He yeah. was there. He was there. They just you know set a trap for him. But yeah, I, don't know, I, I guess they figured Kurt Russell had, you know had some resources that they could have used. And uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't want to think about it too hard. It's no. just fun to have Kurt Russell, you know, just back in wisecracking. Uh, tough guy mode. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, secret weapon, the not so secret is is Dwayne Johnson. I mean, the guy is so much fun. Uh, ever since he's shown up in in the series, he's he just like every time he's on screen, you're just like, what is he going to do next? <laughs> Although he does spend most of the movie in a hospital bed, we should probably make that clear. That's true. But he has a he... pretty amazing you know fight shootout sequence with Statham off the top, and then of course he shows up like the cavalry at the end, but. Uh, uh, you know, for for most of it, he's he's been he's kind of sidelined. It's true, it's true. But then, the, but there's no lack of of supercar driving mm. and uh, and and custom uh, muscle cars yeah. too. Probably because he can't fit behind the wheel of a lot of these cars. <laughs> yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> you know, they'd have to like you know bulk out the doors or something like that. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, uh, yeah. This this series is uh, you know it, it's fun to have a franchise that that has that kind of just you know dumb. Uh, momentum to it, you know, totally. where where you know you can just watch it just careen from one scene to another without having to worry too much about you know where these characters are going to wind up or what have you. The, the CGI aspect of it didn't bother me too too much, although I, you know I, I sort of realized they probably aren't going to drive a car into that helicopter, uh, whatever. <laughs> yes, yeah. There's there's that. Even though yeah. I think that did happen in one of the Terminator movies, as I recall. But uh, uh, yeah, the I, motorcycle. I, I think not you a might. Car. Yeah, I think you. I think you. You were right. Or or maybe one of the Die Hard movies. Maybe both. Oh, probably. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's everyone's dream to somehow destroy destroy a, uh, a helicopter with a vehicle or or in the case of Ninja 3 the domination a ninja but um, <laughs> uh, wow great reference there Stephen nicely done way too deep <laughs> uh, it's uh, yeah th- th- this certainly you know turns on all the all the pleasure centers uh, you know because you can go and enjoy it for its sheer dumbness I like I, I sometimes I wonder if it's being kind of dumb on purpose like like having a big desert you know supercar you know, racing event called Race Wars. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I I'd like to think that was on purpose. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there's, there's sifting into the into the plot a, a little bit of a little bit of in jokes here and there. You can appreciate if you if you really want to go there. Yeah, definitely touching on the zeitgeist there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I guess the feeling is, uh, I'm I'm with you, Stephen. I I think that uh, the series is 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 fun and, and playful. I think it, with so much serious, heavy fantasy stuff, it's it's fun to have a, a more playful uh, and uh, in some ways a throwback, but.
but uh, I, I can't say that I'm particularly fan of the the gratuitous uh, bikini floss uh, scenes that show up in every single movie. The the like a like a, a vanilla ice video or something. Yeah, well, well, we have the race wars, of course, at the start, and uh, then of course the the big party scene in Abu Dhabi. Yes, <laughs> where, where uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but you know, a car drives between three skyscrapers yeah <laughs> so just, you know um <laughs> not on the ground not yeah no, yeah never touches the, well it does touch the ground eventually eventually yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> not, not with humans in it but yeah yeah i you know it's just you know i guess they know their market <laughs> yes i guess they do it's uh you know they, they kind of limit it to a couple of key scenes which is nice you know mm-hmm. at least the, the female leads don't have to undergo that sort of thing well that's been true certainly since Lynn has come aboard is that the female characters have a little more weight and a a little more to do than they did in the first say two or three movies yeah I would say first definitely the first two movies where where it was about bros and machines and code (laughs) <laughs> you know, well, there's always a computer chip hidden somewhere that has to be retrieved <laughs> from something. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a different kind of code, but oh, you're, okay. yeah, I see what you're saying, there, buddy. <laughs> um, does Georgiana Brewster ever get to drive anything? I'm trying to remember. If I she think ever... she does. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think she a, might a have been the second last, and the one before the last. Yeah, one. yeah. Now she's sort of been, uh, you know, become the mom now. So, so is is not not part of the heavy into the action anymore. But yeah. Yeah. I, I you never see them work on the cars anymore. I, I think I was mostly maybe just in the first movie, but yeah, <laughs> they, it's true. Cut away the chaff, you know. It's like we know Dom's the best mechanic on earth. We don't need to to see that happen. So. Yeah, he's too busy saving the world now to <laughs> to have to work on the cars himself. But I personally would love to. I mean, I, I actually quite enjoy the scenes where they're having a barbecue and they're cooking up some corn in the backyard or something. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. And I mean, it speaks to the that whole like family thing that has become so important in the series that all these different characters in different places are all bonded by some kind of familial connection which is you know very sweet uh and you know and i i I always think remember that that uh you know most of the action movies you see people aren't eating things it's nice to see people eat (laughs) (laughs) the fast and the delicious there you go uh i I live my life one quarter rack of ribs at a time So when I watch the Fast and Furious movies, you know, I, I can't help but think about the movies I loved as a kid and, and movies actually that I hadn't I didn't see when I was a kid. But when I I've caught up with since then, there's this whole uh, group of sort of existential low budget car movies of the 70s that uh, that really still stand up. And I, I think the Fast and Furious movies are indebted to in a lot of ways, uh, you know, certainly if if nothing else than just the the vehicles the sort of passion for muscle cars uh and, and we watched we watched two lane blacktop from 1971 recently directed by monty hellman and uh, it's a pretty special special machine yeah it, it's it's a film unlike any other really because it does it it does fetishize humanize the cars to a certain degree in a, in a way that i i was trying to think of when this probably started when when they started focusing on on a car as a as a because I mean cars have been in the movie since the two both coexisted. If you go back to the you know the Max Senna comedies and the crazy things they're doing with vehicles and smashing them up and driving them off cliffs and all that kind of thing back in the silent days. So it's you know this, it's nothing new. It's it's certainly the, this fascination with the the motorized machine it goes way way back. But um uh, and I for for some reason my brain couldn't go back much further than Bullet, you know to. Back then, that fastback Mustang that Steve McQueen drives all over San Francisco in some very weird continuity, and and that seems to be kind of the jumping-off point for this new breed of of you know vehicular action films. That 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 uh, that that car and, and sort of that the connection between the guy and his car um, got t- taken to another level, and then we start to see films like Two Lane Blacktop and Vanishing Point, where man and machine becoming one <laughs> and driving off into oblivion are, are really become this uh, this overarching theme. Yeah, and oblivion is right. I mean, if you think about the ending of those two movies, they're both in 1971, and they both feature, you know, the cars of the era, which were these crazy gas-guzzling performance machines. And uh, they both end with quite a, quite a downbeat sort of... Uh, well, it's a little more ambiguous with two-lane blacktop. The actual celluloid burns... <laughs> but uh, vanishing yes. point is 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 kind of final with a oh, yeah. with an explosion. <laughs> uh, but there is something similar there. You know, the highway highway just burns up 
for these characters. Uh, and and I, I, watching them again, I realized how much of the Western outlaw uh, aspect is also built into these movies. You know, the, I think, I think uh, the, you know, America makes great Westerns and the story of, of the freedom-loving uh, pioneer uh, who, you know, does things his own way by his own rules uh, is is baked into these movies. Yeah, you're only looking as far ahead as the next tank of gas, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like That's right. It just seems these characters are, are, you know, just uh, you, you wonder how what kind of existence it is, and, and uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, Tulane Blacktop's a pretty bleak <laughs> kind of picture. You know, it's this back roads of America. You've got uh, the mechanic and the driver, James Taylor, and uh, as the driver, and um, Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys, and. I think his only acting role, um, yeah. and, but extremely charismatic and and winning on screen. Both of them, really, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of odd that uh, they never chose to to go that way. But uh, and then of course GTO is more the button down conservative guy in his uh, you know stock off the showroom floor GTO versus yeah. the, the, the gearheads. And, well, yeah, played by Warren Oates. It, it's interesting to parallel this with, let's say, Easy Rider because Warren Oates' character might be the Jack Nicholson character a little bit, except he's much more, uh, he has a much more interesting psychological sort of profile. He's, he's clear, like a fantasist. He, he likes to pick up uh, uh, hitchhikers to tell different stories of his life and, I mean, it all sounds like lies. Like, you never, he never tells the same story twice. Uh, and he, he get, connects with these two guys who are really true to the machine and and they seem to be very focused and and together uh, and and he wants to he sort of you see his his anxiety and his neuroses next to these guys but he drives while he drives this uh, this GTO and in his many colored cardigans which is an interesting <laughs> yeah note. it's weird how many five six sweat, six or different seven colored different sweaters? colored sweaters and we never see him change he just suddenly shows up <laughs> in the next scene with another one yeah it's very odd I I, uh, I really want to uh, of course it's out from Criterion I really want to explore some of those extras a little bit more and see if we can figure out the reason behind the different sweaters if there's any at all or it was just something they yeah. came up with where every day I guess you would have a, a different sweater whether or not the color reflects anything <laughs> it's mm-hmm. hard to say but um um, I also wanted to say the the sort of existential nature of of these movies. Uh, you know, they don't get into a lot of reasons for anything. These people are just there; they're on the road, and they don't even have names. Most of these characters are the, the drive; they're, they're what they do. Uh, and and of course, the uh, the heavy on the French New Wave influence as well. They're kind of spacious films with a with a lot of time and and the, the sort of a gradual if, for for movies where people are going very quick. The actual pace of the scenes is is pretty de- deliberate. Yeah, it's it's very odd, and, and dialogue is kind of ground down to the the bare bones. Um, yeah, Tulane Blacktop. I was amazed by how it kind of it kind of moves along, but at the, it's weird at this very measured pace. Even though we're supposed to be hurtling across country in this uh, race between the two cars to get collect the pink slips in in Washington D.C. and there somewhere in New Mexico or someplace. Yeah, so. and that doesn't even really become, as it goes along, it, doesn't, it becomes less and less of a, of a plot uh, driver, you know, to, you know, no pun intended. Like, it's, it's just like, they, they, it's out there somewhere that they're supposed to be racing for this, but really it's more about their interactions and, and uh, the character, Lori Bird, as the girl, uh, her relation with the two guys and how she kind of makes life difficult for the, for the, the, the two guys in the Chevy, and then she connects with GTO as well, and and, uh, and all this other people they meet along the way. Yeah, they kind of pass her around like a baton. It's very. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't mean that in a crude way, but you know, she sort of bounces from car to car, and 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 it's there's this weird kind of one-upmanship that happens. You know, they're they're kind mm-hmm. of leapfrogging. They're not really so much racing as, you know, one exacerbating each other's problems. And yes. but 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 with this bizarre camaraderie at the same time, you know, cause yeah, cause they don't really, I mean, they, the, the two guys, uh, the two guys in the, in the in old 55, they, they are actually quite kind to GTO, even though he's, he's pretty aggressive and unpleasant. Uh, and then, and I, what I also liked is that the girl, she takes her matters into her own hands. I mean, she's very much self-motivated. At a certain point, she realizes that she needs off this train and, and, uh, and, you know, leaves, leaves them in, in the, in the dust, uh, which I think, which I think is handled really well. <laughs> yeah, and nobody seems too upset about it when she leaves either. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because everyone's just so damn cool, you know. And I think that's that's one of those those French New Wave things is that people, you know, the coolness is just is just part of the deal. 
I, I, maybe this is a time to interject some trivia, but uh, as, as I learned from the, the supplements, and this isn't going to be any news to anyone who actually has a copy of the movie, but uh, for Tulane Blacktop, the, the, the 55 Chevy, there are actually three of them. They have, uh, one was uh, the camera car for you know mounting a camera on the outside for all the interior shots and stuff. And then another was kind of like the you know the the full on souped up race car, and then there was another car that was used, you know, for maybe some of the stuff that might risk damage or whatever. So there were three cars. One of them uh, wound up going into the scrapyard, so they they know it got crushed. So there were two cars. One of them was used in American Graffiti. It's the car driven by Harrison Ford in the uh, race yeah. at the end of American Graffiti, and that car still exists. Uh, it's got a nice glossy black paint job and, and most people think of it as the American Graffiti could, could, uh, car even though it has this pedigree um, the camera car was a little uh, uh, someone who was a big fan of the film tried to track it down eventually found out it was sold to somebody from Canada um, at some point like a couple teenagers owned it they painted it white with racing stripes oh, and then great. somebody in Canada bought it painted it flat black and uh, and then someone in Ontario, and then they sold it to somebody in New Brunswick. So actually, the one of the, one of the the two lane blacktop uh, racing cars, the, the Chevy, was actually in New Brunswick for years and years. Oh, nice. And, yeah, and so this this guy tracked it down, managed to buy it off the guy in New Brunswick, um, drove it back, and then but then he had to find the original doors because they'd been replaced, and somehow he tracked them to a salvage yard in Woodstock, Ontario, or something like that. And eventually, you know, and painted it like this grimy gray color that's just like in the movie so so the 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 that car the camera one car exists in the condition it was in for american graffiti the other looks like it did in tulane blacktop uh, with the the gray primer flat uh right unimpressive looking paint job so um kind of nice that there's a bit of a maritime connection there though yeah absolutely absolutely uh you know that's i think part of the the um what makes these movies special as well is that often these cars become kind of iconic later later in in the running. I actually found out speaking want to hop to another bit of trivia. Um, one of my favorite car movies is Thelma and Louise, which uh, is maybe the only one that is I can think of that is just the story of two women in mm. this in these kinds of roles. And uh, the '66 um, convertible Thunderbird in Thelma and Louise uh, recently uh, was up for auction for I think seventy one thousand dollars. So you could you could buy that thing if you wanted one of the one of the picture vehicles that was used. Uh, which uh, you know obviously didn't go off the cliff, but but uh, yeah, that's uh, you know th- those those kinds of stories are great. I love to see that. Now, uh, do you remember seeing Vanishing Point for the first time? We should maybe touch on that a little bit. Yeah, just a bit. So we, yeah, we, I mentioned it. I, I I can't remember when I first saw it, honestly. But uh, it was I didn't see it when I was a kid. It was when I caught later, and and I remember enjoying it a great deal. And certainly. Uh, uh, it has a lot of the same qualities as, as these other films, the Western aspect. Um, one thing I did find out about uh, Vanishing Point, the story basically is this guy who's driving this uh, white Dodge Challenger from Colorado to San Francisco. He wants to do it in 15 hours. I Google mapped that. And uh, <laughs> it's almost 20 hours drive from Denver to San Francisco. So clearly to do it in 15, to cut it, cut down a you know quarter of that, uh, of that uh, time is, uh, is a hell of a thing to do. Yeah, you'd have to be going like 120 <laughs> for a good <laughs> yeah. chunk of it, miles. Miles, yeah. But, uh, you know, I I hadn't... Uh, and it's funny, Richard uh, Serafian, who directed it, I don't know a lot about him, and it, it's not like he made a ton of other films, but this 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 film just seems so remarkable to me, and I think it was kind of distant its day. Um, I saw it, I was in my early 20s, so I'm still kind of learning about films in a lot of ways, and I saw this movie... Um, on an old laser disc, <laughs> it wasn't even on VHS at the time, but I found a laser disc of it, and uh, I just—I don't know—just looked like a cool movie from the early seventies, and it—it it really blew me away. I, I did not expect it to be this kind of mystical journey uh, via Dodge Challenger. Uh, you know, it's just. Uh, you know, it starred Barry Newman, a guy I knew from a 70s TV show called Petrocelli, where he played like a crusading lawyer. And, uh, you know, I kind of knew him from stuff like that. You know, I didn't expect him as a, to see him as a pill-popping uh, gearhead who's just, uh, you know, I think an ex-cop. It's revealed in some flashbacks, I think. So uh, just 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 determined to make this beeline from, from Colorado to San Francisco come what may. And it's just a, just the, the hell he unleashes along the way. It just... Uh, and the character, it's just, there's so much uh, soaked into this film. And then later I found out that, you know, they'd even, you know, cut stuff out of it and flashbacks with Charlotte Rampling and all this stuff. Oh, yeah, I didn't know They that. found out about, yeah, well, the, it wasn't until the DVD came out that they restored some of this stuff, so there's like a longer cut out there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, with the radio guy egging him on and, and the right. community kind of rallying behind him. It does have that kind of, you know, it's like Shane or something yeah. like that. He's he's practically a ghost anyway. You know, he's he's kind of uh, just a pale shell of him, of what he used to be. I, I like one of the things about these movies I think that I really enjoy is how uh, w- while these drivers identify sort of become one with the vehicle, I think it allows audiences to sort of arrive in their own sort of like their fantasies about freedom on the road in a way that, uh, that you know, because often in these movies, you know, there's bikers and hell's angels and uh, various uh, weird characters, sort of peripheral characters that people meet out on the on the highway that kind of play a role. And, and I think to myself, you know, uh, that that as these people spend as we spend more time with these people in their cars, uh, there there is that. Um, you know, it's 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 you become part of the warriors of the road in your. I mean, and I wonder whether or not those muscle cars, like those Chargers and there's those Challengers uh, by Dodge, uh, were <laughs> had. I mean, we think of them as kind of iconic vehicles now, but at the time, you know, they were they were kind of uh, regular. You know, I maybe I mean they had performance for sure, but they but they were you know off regu- regular machine tooled uh, factory cars. You know, yeah, there wasn't the you know that they could sell that as you know power. I mean, how often do you you know you see power sometimes used in terms of truck advertising, but not so much with regular you know street cars or, no. uh, these days. But back then, you know, you look at at the old TV ads for some of these things, and you know with this with the dawn of the Mustang, it really was about. You know, <laughs> appealing to your baser masculine right, nature. Right. For, yeah, that makes to, sense. For these kind of cars to drive faster than you can legally, <laughs> you know, go. And, yeah. Um, and, you know, and that it was kind of a short lived era, really, of the muscle car in its heyday, because, of course, then by the mid to late 70s or the gas crisis, uh, as it was then perceived, uh, you know, kind of took over. And, it, you know, the, the imports from Asia and elsewhere touting uh, fuel economy, you know, really kind of came to the fore and then the muscle car thing just felt wrong somehow. Yes. Yeah, fair enough. It was it was a brief but uh but powerful uh <laughs> powerful era. And uh yeah, and I think Vanishing Point is 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 very much worth seeing along with Tulane Blacktop for anyone who is uh you know looking to look back at them. And uh, I see, uh, I think Gone in 60 Seconds is one of the films we were talking about earlier yeah, as well. Yeah. Which, another Mustang, Eleanor, <laughs> you reminded me, uh, the yellow Mustang that uh, is the Ne Plus Ultra of this guy's mission to steal, I think, 50, 50 classic cars in the course yeah, of Yeah, 48, I think, something 48. like that. Yeah, and the thing about it is that it's <clears> different <throat> in, in, in the way it, it distinguishes itself from those uh, these other two that we mentioned is that... Uh, that it's it the the guy who directed it wrote it produced it and stars in it as as the character Main Drain Pace is his name, <laughs> which is a great handle. H. Uh, B. Halicki is also the stunt driver, so he did everything in this movie, and he drove all over Los Angeles. And I would say this the like last third of the movie is just chase. It's yeah. all just chasing. Yeah, it's like forty minutes of just chasing. Yeah, things. and he, the the plot is is he and his 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 group. Uh, he's a, he's a car thief ringleader uh, who's also his day job is an insurance investigator. So he has to steal these car these specific models of cars in a short period of time. Uh, the acting is is pretty amateurish, but there's a lot of comedic moments. Uh, there's a, a hell of a lot of voiceover too, interestingly, where you don't actually see people talking; you just hear them having conversations <laughs> about stuff. And then and then yeah, and then about uh, at a certain point, uh, I was starting to think I was watching the Beastie Boys sabotage video because the hair and the, and, <laughs> yes, and everything pretty is much. pretty crazy. Uh, and uh, but but the only credit in the beginning of the film for a performer is is Eleanor, which is the '73 Mustang that they they see everywhere. This yellow Mustang. There's there's plenty of them on the roads apparently at the time, and then one of them is is the Haliki gets into one of these these cars and drives it all over the areas uh, around Los Angeles and the connecting towns, uh, which uh, you know Greater Los Angeles, and uh, it is it is amazing uh, the stunts that that they do, uh, and and you can see all the people standing on the side of the road because clearly some of this stuff you know they didn't worry about crowd control, they're just like we're gonna do the stunt and and people can stand and watch if they want. Yeah, but, it's. Just- bizarre bit of guerrilla filmmaking and that was a monstrous smash at the box office at the time. I mean, it's back when the drive-in market actually counted for something. 
um, you know, it was certainly big on that kind of circuit. But the the, the film just played and played and played. And uh, you know, I I remember, you know, I, I mean, I was only seven years old at the time it came out, but I remember TV ads for it and just being like really excited, even though there's no way in heck I was going to be allowed to see this movie. But just the title was such a great title, and just the, the shots of these cars smashing into one another. I mean, that's, that's you know, I mean, I did have the smash up derby you know play set you know the the cars where you pull up the ripcord and the two cars go over a ramp and crash into each other yeah sure parts fly off and you know so so you know <laughs> the the joy of watching two cars crash into each other couldn't be uh, underestimated and uh the, you know certainly seeing ads for this film it, it just got me pumped up i didn't see it for years and years uh you know it was unavailable for a long time i think there were some music rights issues that that kept it off of home video until they finally uh, they released it with a completely new soundtrack. Uh-huh. They redid all the music, which you know was a big disappointment to those who you know who saw it the first time and loved it. And I think there might have been a VHS copy with the original music, but it it's now this like weird generic jazz kind of soundtrack right. that doesn't really. I think they. Were, I'm not sure if they didn't want to pay for the original music or they thought that this other music sounded more modern because of course H.B. Halicki died shortly after I think his second movie Junk Man came out mm-hmm. where he's basically playing a fictionalized version of him he's playing like a guy who was a filmmaker who made God in, they actually reference God in 67's and Junk Man it's not really a sequel but he's he's basically playing the guy who made God in 60 Seconds oh, yeah. but under a different name Okay, and the some gangster is out to get him and he's has to He's on the run with all these different cars, and he, at one point, I think he, I think he, oh, he crashes a car into a helicopter. <laughs> I just remembered in Junk Man, so, uh-huh. so that, maybe that's where it started. Yeah, there you um, go. And it's it's not very good. Uh, Hoyt Axton plays himself. Uh, it's you know, it, but it's it's got this weird arrogance, and that you know, it's like I made that other movie, and now I'm going to make this movie and right. tell my story. But the again, the chases scenes and the and the the stunts are fantastic. Mm. The film can grate on your nerves because it's so self aware that it's <laughs> kind of kind of grating. But but uh, but it's it definitely definitely fun to watch one after the other and see how they kind of dovetail in this bizarre universe that he's created. I wouldn't necessarily recommend the remake of Gone in 60 Seconds. Which the Nicolas Cage one? Yeah. No. I mean, the cars are great, and, and uh, Angelina Jolie is, is awesome, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, yeah, stick with the original. Well, on the, uh, on the level of uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, I mentioned the whole um, the drive-in circuit thing, and, and, and that was a huge part of, of movie going in, in 50s, 60s, and 70s. I, you know, kind of the, the drive-in started to vanish after the, the mid to late 70s. I mean, we, you know, we still have a couple here in the Maritimes, independently owned. The, the chain ones are, are long gone. And, uh, but, you know, again, Roger Corman was kind of the king of of, uh, of that realm for a lot of his films. And, and uh, there was just, a, they quickly realized that, that you know, the, the cheapness of finding some old clunkers and banging them into each other would would uh, somehow, um, you know, have some sort of appeal. It was a cheap production value uh, kind of stunt. You could make these low-budget films, wreck a lot of cars that were probably uh, didn't have much life left in them anyway, and uh, and, and that would uh, that would bring him running for miles to see these films. And uh, you know, I, I love the fact that that uh, that uh, esteemed Academy Award-winning filmmaker Ron Howard that his sort of mature film period after you know being a you know, a young actor, a child actor on Andy Griffith's show, and then, you know, coming into his teens with, uh, like, American Graffiti, um, demanded, uh, not demanded, but asked Roger Corman for the chance to have a shot at, at making a film. Uh-huh. And so we, we got Ron Howard as the teen rebel, in, or the young adult rebel in uh, Eat My Dust and um, Grand Theft Auto, which I believe is the one that he directed himself, and that's kind of where it all started. Um, you know, a crazy, a crazy film with uh, he steals a, uh, I think his girlfriend's dad's Rolls Royce, and then there's a crazy chase across several county lines and lots of car wrecks, and you know, nothing especially new about those films. But but he brought this kind of weird, you know, farm boy charm to it. He wasn't like the grizzled outlaw or the juvenile delinquent or anything. You know, the the the, the, the wisecracking kind of attitude filled juvie he was like this kind of fresh-faced kid who was just uh had a love for cars and you know ron howard pops the clutch and tells the world to eat my dust you know it's just it's just it's just weird to think of him in that way especially you know after the the sort of the clean-cut happy you know coming in between like happy days and and andy griffith and uh 
you know, it, it just showed that that anybody could fit into this formula, I guess, of finding a lot of cars and and uh, smashing them together and for ultimate cinematic effect. And and uh, you know, it was kind of like the weird flip side to uh, someone you were talking about, uh, Burt Reynolds, right. and the kind of success that he had with with similar I, kinds of films, where you know, this kind of southern. Um, action films these low budget yeah the, and, many and many of them being family friendly action movies not yeah. all of them but certainly the you know it, it didn't have to be these cold existential uh, movies these car movies could be I mean Burt Reynolds was associated with that black Trans Am and uh, Smoking the Bandit you know and, and that was a huge movie it might have been the biggest movie the year it came out it's 77 if it wasn't for maybe Star Wars or something around that time uh, you know and, and Burt Reynolds I yeah I, I really liked that guy I mean I, I, I saw saw Cannonball Run a, a ton of times <laughs> when I was a kid and and it's it's funny because it got him out of the, uh, the the Pontiac and into an ambulance and he kind of was the 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 comedic the most comedic parts I mean there was a lot of comedy in those movies uh, Roger Moore getting to riff on his James Bond persona but uh, but you know it was about the cars too certainly uh, and but I mean when you get uh, Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. together to you know be soused and and uh, <laughs> and drive across the country with all the other these other famous folks uh, there's there's some there's a lot of charm in those in those movies even though they really weren't very good <laughs> no not at all in fact I kind of think that that's sort of the beginning of the end for Burt Reynolds in terms of, uh, you know, being uh, not a necessarily a bankable movie star, but but being someone who had some cachet, I guess, in a way. Yes. That, that um, you know, he was, that's where the self-parody starts to come in. And, you know, there was still some, you know, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, you know, was a triumph later. And, of course, he did some dramatic stuff, Boogie Nights, Breaking In, which is a really neat movie that most people haven't seen where he plays a, a safe cracker. Um was falling on hard times, but uh, but that's kind of that's kind of where it's you know those and those films are huge hits, but yes. that's sort of like where do you go from there? Yeah, yeah. Well, he was he, I guess at one time was the number one movie star oh, in yeah. the world, and he built his reputation on on cars and and certainly White Lightning and Gator. Those movies uh, I I also saw when I was a kid. Those I think are a little more mature, but still yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but I mean, really, I, I watched and they're still pretty pretty innocent. Although it's weird that White Lightning and Gator, he's playing the same character, but. Uh, um, I think White uh, White Lightning is more of a drama and Gator is more of a comedy. Yes. I think that's how it goes. Yeah, I, I think so. I haven't watched them back to back in a while, but and the tone of the films is completely different, but there's still still a lot of action, a lot of swamp buggy kind of <laughs> yeah. uh moonshine and yeah. sort of back road kind of thing and and uh you know which which he excelled at and and then he started to climb out of that a little bit. He did some serious cop dramas like Fuzz and Seamus and that kind of thing. But uh, but yeah, you, th- but then you get a film like Hooper, you know, where people just want to see Burt Reynolds behind the wheel of a car. Yeah, WW and the Dixie Dance Kings is another another one, which which has never been released on video, as far as I know. That's that's one of the kind of ones that's fallen by the wayside, where he's like the manager of a southern country band, but they also get involved in bank heists and okay, this. that's so what I've never seen. A, yeah, yeah, it's it kind of like this back road. Uh, heist chase action sort of sub Bonnie and Clyde stuff happening but it's it's pretty good natured but it's got this musical aspect to it as well as the the, the crime part of it and the, the chasing it was, it was like they they were just throwing every genre they could think of into this one film and I saw it on like a TV edited for TV network broadcast or something like that and I've really fond memories of it but it's never been on video and I you know, I don't know where by that. What you know, considering his popularity, it's it's odd that it's it's still well. It is popularity, but it's you know, I don't think he gets much respect these days. So I don't know if there's a big call for for them putting a lot of that stuff on DVD or or resuscitating some of his lost lost movies. Um, but uh, I, before we uh, uh, completely leave uh, Roger Corman behind, I wanted to give a tip of my hat to Death Race yes. 2000 <laughs> from 1975. Now, this was one watching, going back to watch old car movies, was maybe the one that I enjoyed the most just by its 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 verve and its satiric punch. Uh, David Carradine, it's a future vision where people are driving cars in a uh, cross-country road race, and the more people they kill, the more points they get, and they, they, win, they will win the race through, through killing pedestrians pedestrians and anyone there's there's ratings for how you know points for babies for for senior <laughs> citizens and and uh, so on and so forth the whole thing is televised and it's it's a super popular event the number one most the heroic driver is Frankenstein played by David Carradine 
Sylvester Stallone is his his main competitor, Machine Gun Joe Viterbo, <laughs> also starring Mary Warrenov as Calamity Jane. Uh, and this this is a satire of media, sports, revolutions, <laughs> ideology, and celebrity. Like it's amazing the different bases that this thing touches, and it's hilarious still. Like it's it's up there, I think, with with uh, RoboCop and some of some of those films in terms of of a true really terrific uh, ageless satire a future future vision satire all with with cars well Paul Bartel was a master satirist uh, uh, usually on a fairly low budget and uh, uh, you know with 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 a really biting edge to it I mean he, he was kind of like the, the the west coast version of John Waters um, you know he just he'd like everything to have a bit of a twist to it and and, and death race certainly uh you know it's it's funny that you know 2000s come and gone and it's it's you know it hasn't quite come true but but you know you think about how it looks ahead to reality television and that kind of yeah, thing it was, for sure it was it was kind of on the money in some regards um and again don't watch the i mean the remakes are well they are what they are but they're 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 not a spot on the original yeah i haven't seen the the death because i think there's two of them there yeah. were two uh, Death Race uh, remakes in recent years, and I haven't seen them. And obviously, they're kind of riding the coattails of the Fast and Furious. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like, well, what's another franchise with cars? Because there was a, there was an actual sequel to Death Race 2000 called, I think, Death Sport. Uh, I think Carradine's back in that. There's a, I, I just remember an image of him riding a ridiculous-looking motorcycle with machine gun turrets on the front, uh-huh. or something like that. But um, you know, it's certainly not on the same level as the original. And uh, actually, uh, uh, just prior to this, uh, Paul Bartel, I know his part, Bartel made uh, Cannonball with an exclamation point. So Cannonball, uh-huh. um, which was based on the the coast to coast road rally that also inspired Gumball Rally, which also inspired Cannonball Run. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and uh, and I suppose Cannonball Run three, which was retitled and I think released uh, only in Canada or something like that speed zone or something like that it's, just, it's really really terrible okay but, um, yeah, I haven't seen it all but Cannonball is basically the progenitor of all of those where the, it's the coast to coast road race uh, David Carradine's in it I think one of his uh, Keith Carradine maybe is or Robert Carradine I think his, his brother is in it and mm. Dick Miller staple of Roger Corman movies of course shows up probably playing a cop as usual uh, but uh, you know if you can find it I, I think a lot of those Corman films have come out through Shout Factory so they're worth we're seeking out for sure. So one thing I noticed about watching all the Fast and Furious movies and then watching movies from the 70s is how much I learned about uh, Los Angeles City streets. Oh my gosh. By watching these movies. Like the uh, the first, the, the, the bridges over the Los Angeles River, uh, the first or fourth or sixth street bridges are constantly being shot on. Uh, you see them all the time in advertisements, but you also see them in these movies. Uh, Furious 7 and also the Second Street Tunnel, which is made famous in Blade Runner, uh, they show up. That those These these parts of, of Los Angeles show up again and again in these movies, and I, I saw them all in The Driver uh, from 1978. This is the Walter Hill movie, which uh, in which Ryan O'Neill plays a uh, getaway driver who's very taciturn and a, uh, a kind of obnoxious detective called named the detective played by uh, <laughs> Bruce Dern wants to get him and they, he's willing to pretty much do anything including bending all the rules of law to uh, to track this guy down and setting him up and entrap him uh, and Isabella Johnny plays the player who is someone who's just kind of like hanging around and and you know making money where she can in in casinos um, I think Dern kind of is the villain of the thing uh, and and there's some amazing driving sequences most of it if not all of it is shot at night in LA and uh, I, I I didn't find that the um, the dialogue was terribly great, but the, uh, the it has an inestimable coolness. This movie just like it, awesome. It definitely does. I think Bruce Dern probably gets the best lines, or at least yes. he's, he's the best at delivering some of this stuff. He's he's furiously drinking Coca Colas constantly in this film, so he's all hopped up, and he's got some weird perm hairdo that just makes me laugh. Ah, uh, 78. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. I, for some reason, I thought this film was from earlier in the 70s because it just feels like such a 70s movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, But it's, it's actually pretty late in the decade. And uh, it's funny. I When I was watching uh, Fast 7 or Fury 7, whichever 7 it is, <laughs> the... Uh, the I saw it like they go over the bridge, and I'd just seen that in the driver, which I rewatched on the weekend. And then, and then Fourth uh, Street, he goes around a corner in Fourth Street, and I swear they're just using the same setup from the driver. Like I think I don't know if it's an homage or just 
you know, LA has been covered from every angle by this mm-hmm. point. But you're right about the geography. Like I've never been to Los Angeles, but uh, you know, friends of mine who've been tell me that I would lose my mind because I just, you know, there, there's very few corners and nooks and crannies that I haven't already seen in a movie. So it's going to be very odd when I eventually get down there. Well, when I went, which was only a couple of years ago, uh, I, I thought about it in advance. I thought of all the cities in the world I've never visited, I know LA the best. And going and being able to connect the dots for where these locations are all within in relation to one another by virtue of the films I've seen was a huge joy. It was great, and I really recommend it. Just go down there and, and make sure, map it out in advance, and then <laughs> go and see these spots. You know, drive around the daytime, rent a car, because there's no point in walking anywhere in L.A. you got to drive, because the distances are so great, and the public transit is, isn't worthwhile. Uh, and you just go and see these places. And, and uh, yeah, certainly the downtown area is best best featured in these car movies. Um, the uh, the driver is interesting, that, that Ryan O'Neill is, is kind of playing a, a tough guy. Um you know, who's like cool under pressure and seems to be one step ahead of everybody who's after him. And, uh, it, because it wasn't, that wasn't really his, uh, his kind of MO for, for a lot. I mean, you know, he, he was, I guess he was on Peyton place, a TV show in the sixties. And of course his big breakout film was love story right. with Ali McGraw. Um, and, and yet, and, and he was kind of had a reputation for being kind of a, a bland, you know, pretty boy. But, but then I, you know, I keep, getting surprised by him in films like Paper Moon for example um, uh, certainly the, the the driver and uh, there's another one I'm trying to think if I just blanked out on but but um, uh, Nickelodeon another Bogdanovich film I mean he was kind of a, and Barry Barry Lyndon, Barry uh, Lyndon with uh, yeah, sure. Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick yeah. where you know he was kind of like a blank slate I mean mm-hmm. his, his kind of I think his blandness uh, kind of the same way that Tom Cruise gets used in Eyes Wide Shut that he kind of uses him as kind of a blank canvas for the audience to project stuff onto yeah, um, that makes you know sense. but but very effective in, in in those kind of roles and here he's it's not like a really challenging role he just kind of has to kind of grit his teeth and and not say too much but but uh, somehow he, he pulls it off and and uh, you know he's he's very kind of appealing you know, as a after years of being sensitive guy, you know, he gets to play a tough guy without having to change too too much. Yeah, or or really, I mean, he does. There's a few action scenes, but mostly he's just behind the wheel of the car. Yeah, there's a great scene right in the middle where he drives this uh, Mercedes around an empty parking garage that's very well lit. Oh yes, and he just tears the doors off the thing literally. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's a great scene. He's yep. basically proving his uh, his worthiness as a uh, getaway driver. His prowess. Yeah, I, I I don't know if you ever. There's a video game I, I've played on PlayStation, but I'm pretty sure it's P, PS uh, as well or PC um, called. It's just called Driver. But it's basically this movie just in video game form because I was, I was sort of getting these flashbacks to this game because I think some of the cars are sort of like a, the car is kind of Mustangy in the video game, not specifically, you know, enough to get by copyright, but right. but uh, but they're borrowing situations where you've got to pick up guys from a heist and then get chased by the cops and stuff. And certainly films like this and Bullet have kind of influenced that game, but I had to stop playing it because every time I got behind the wheel of a car, I started to, you know, I was playing a lot of it back when I actually, you know, played video games or had the time to play them. And that one really appealed to me, but then I just I couldn't drive, just couldn't get near a car for a while because <laughs> it would just get, get me too frustrated. Yeah, and, that's a scary feeling when the video game driving games overlap with the... Uh, with uh, with reality, yeah. But yeah. I did like that game because all the cars were like '70s cars, and it wasn't, you know, Formula One or mm-hmm. NASCAR or whatever. You know, it was really about you know muscle cars and running away from the cops. Yeah, <laughs> um, I wanted to also mention for people who know the Nicholas Winding Refn mm. uh, film Drive from 2011, how the the it's it's not an official remake, but there are so many parallels, and I think it's just a loving homage to that previous film. The uh, Ryan Gosling, another Ryan, plays a guy named Driver. Uh, who is a getaway driver and the opening sequence where he is basically timing himself as he parks and he waits for two guys to come out where they've got the masks on and they're, they're coming out with their ill-gotten gains and uh, and then he drives around downtown LA uh, as, as the cops are following and again over that same bridge yes <laughs> um, you know and eventually the, well, the way he loses them is he drives into the Staples Center just as the uh, ball game is finishing the basketball game I think and all the crowds are coming out and he just leaves leaves the car behind puts on a baseball cap and walks away and, and that is so much like the driver uh, people who are familiar with the Refn film uh, should go back to watch the, the this would make a great double feature for Frankly. You do get a weird sense of deja vu <laughs> while watching <laughs> yeah. it, um, you know. But it's uh, you know, the, there's the, the cool 
collected driver character and the the kind of panicky bad guys, you know, who are kind of freaking out over one thing or another, and 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 he's got to kind of outthink them and outdrive them and use his skills to get away. The, I guess the one wrinkle is that I guess he's uh, he's in this film he actually is a stunt driver professionally, right? Yes, who does the the sort of uh, criminal uh, wheel work sort of on the side sort of thing. But you know, that, so there are some other new wrinkles. That, you know, there's the romance it's kind of played up a little bit more than it is in, in, in the driver. You, you sort of expect it to go in a certain way and it doesn't in that film. But, um, you know, it, I, I really felt like a throwback in a good way yes. to watch this. And, and that, that, you know, it wasn't so much about plot, you know, it was more about character and, 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 and having that drive the action. And, and, uh, I, I really liked that, that kind of eye for detail of, 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 you know, not getting as hung up on, on movie cliches, um, that you expect from an action, oh, it's got to have, you know, this kind of romance and this kind of redemption and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know, you, you know, it's interested in telling a different kind of story. Absolutely. And I think it's heavily indebted to, to in a more, more postmodern way, like it's, it's self-aware, I guess, as most great movies are these days that are, are somehow in the tradition of these older movies. They're, they're, they're movie movies, but, uh, but they, they fit in with the overall, I think, uh, arc of, of the genre, which I think is, it's great. And, uh, uh, I'm a big fan of Refn anyway, generally. So, uh, I think, um, yeah. So I think before, before we wrap up, uh, I would really just like to say that, uh, a couple more movies, that really fit in this genre, and I, and I have to go back to when I was a kid and 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 uh, how much I love cars and how much I love movies about cars. <laughs> uh, certainly, the Blues Brothers uh, has has a, a, a place in my heart. The Bluesmobile, which is in the movie uh, 1974 Dodge, Dodge Monaco, another Dodge, uh, <laughs> as a form of police car that uh, that. Uh, Elwood buys because it's got a cop motor, a 440 cubic inch plant. It's got cop tires, cop suspension, cop shocks. It's a model made before catalytic converters, so it'll run good on regular gas, and that's why he gets it. <laughs> but of course, the uh, the cigarette lighter is broken. <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. Uh, so so that that's a wonderful car movie for its in its own way, even though it's really about music. Um, and you know, I, I think my favorite car movie of all time has got to be The Road Warrior, and I, I don't want to talk about it too much because I think we're going to come back. To to talk about Mad Max as a franchise when the new Mad Max opens on May 15th, which I cannot wait for, frankly. Um, but The Road Warrior is just the truest car movie in some ways, just by virtue of it being just those those incredible stunt sequences in the film. Um, and it, it's and it's I realize it's it's not really about fetishizing the cars themselves or or even identifying with them. I don't think the Mad Max is is is, all, is his car in this movie um, because his car gets smashed up about halfway through. Yeah. Though it does it does mean he has to sort of reinvent himself because he certainly has a, his character has a change after the car gets gets you know smashed up and and he has to be rescued basically uh, from the desert. But um, uh, it's it's just it's more just about the the forward momentum and and that's the thing that I really loved about that that movie. Yeah, I, I, again, we're going to talk about these later. I, I'm I'm a big fan of of uh, the original Mad Max too, just because mm-hmm. uh, you know just that that wide open Australian landscape and just cars throwing themselves down the highway. Like it felt like they were being propelled by catapults. It wasn't <laughs> yeah, even like the, yeah. there wasn't a motor involved. Yeah. And, and Road Warrior, that the, the the cars sort of become monsters in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know when the when they've been sort of altered and had the iron plating stuck on yeah. armor, armor plating and all that kind of stuff and and you know if you've seen the the, the trailer for Fury Road obviously it, you know they take that to a whole another level in this uh, this new iteration of the character in his world so I you know I can't wait to see that and revisit these other films because I definitely want to go back and redo the trilogy. Um, even though I'm not getting my hopes up for Thunderdome, but there, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and, and I mean, seeing all these movies again, I just want to get behind the wheel right now. That's what I want to do. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm scared too. <laughs> it's a little, a little frightening after so much carnage. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, having uh, we were talking before that we started rolling about how you know I had a little fender bender not too long ago and. The, the the headache of, of just trying to deal with an insurance company is like you never see that in a movie you never see Dom from Fast and Furious having to like complain to his agent about you know trying to get a fender panel re- restored or something like that. and <laughs> going through th- you know can I speak to your supervisor and uh, you know, yeah just, that's that's pretty unsexy right there I know I know yeah. it just takes the the wind out of those sales right away yeah for sure. <laughs> 
that's our show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can contact us on Twitter at Lends Me Your Ears, all one word, or search for Lends Me Your Ears on Facebook. We're on Stitcher, and you can rate and review us on iTunes. And if you do, we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. Our email is Lends Me Your Ears Podcast at gmail.com. I'm Karsten Knox, and my Twitter is at Karsten Knox. And I'm Stephen Cook, and my Twitter is at ch underscore s-c-o-o-k-e. The next time, we're going to be talking about tech gone bad in conjunction with Ex Machina and Avengers Age of Ultron. You've been listening to Lends Me Your Ears, and we'll see you somewhere down the road. Lends Me Your Ears is hosted by Stephen Cook and Karsten Knox and is produced in Halifax, Nova Scotia at Village Sound for the Village Soundcast Network. Lends Me Your Ears is engineered by Luke Badio and is produced by Dave Anderson and Jason Michael McIsaac. All music courtesy of Gypsophilia. Check out all of their amazing music, tour dates, and so much more at gypsophilia.org. Discover more great shows on the Village Soundcast Network by going to villagesoundcast.com. We can also be found on Twitter at VSoundcast and on Facebook by searching the Village Soundcast Network. Rate and review us on iTunes and you'll get a shout-out on an upcoming show. Send feedback to LendsMeYourEarsPodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.